Secrets to Real Estate Investing, Episode 41. Welcome to the Secrets to Real Estate Investing podcast by House Flip Masters, where you will learn powerful strategies from top experts in real estate investing, and you will find valuable information to take your investments to the next level. Now, here's your host and expert real estate investor, Holly McCann. Well, hello there, and welcome to another exciting episode of Secrets to Real Estate Investing by House Flip Masters. And we have... I'm going to say a guest who is pretty cool and laid back and relaxed, unlike me and many of my peers. So I'm really excited to introduce you listeners to a gentleman by the name of Mike Wolf. He's been investing for 27 years and he's got a whole different take on it that some of us that seem to be um, jumping from one rat race and hamster wheel into another one where we are really busy and sometimes feel like there's never enough time to get everything done. And Mike is going to share some of his tips on having a lifestyle of freedom and a little more relaxation and still, you know, doing real estate investing. So with that, welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you. It's great to be here. And that's quite the intro. I really like that intro. It's awesome. Well, I am so excited for you to share your wisdom and experience at 27 years. That's a long time of being in this game of real estate investing. So why don't you give our listeners some background on you and how you got to where you are today. Compress that 27 years into oh, five boy. minutes. There you go. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Let me see what I can do about that. So uh, yeah, so basically I started in real estate 100% by mistake. I had no aspirations mm. to be a real estate investor. Matter of fact, uh, if we go back in time, I was actually one point living my parents' dream. They wanted me, especially my mother wanted me to be a lawyer. So I went to university, got a degree, followed her advice, and managed to rack up a whole lot of student loans. And I decided before I go back, get my second degree, maybe I should pay some of this off. And I got a job um, at the phone company where my friend, his mother was a manager, so I, and got a, a, a job there. And it was union, and uh, it was government back in those days, and it paid really, really well. I won't say really, really well for a job. And uh, basically while I was there, I, I had, you know, my credit was good and managed to buy my first property while I worked at the phone company. Wow. And, yeah, I got really uh, fortunate. I was quite creative to make it work. I actually uh, didn't have a down payment because I had all these student loans. I had no money, but I had good credit. So I got a, a line of credit cut myself a check, put it in the bank, let it sit for 90 days to make the bank happy, got a mortgage, bought my first property with no money down. And um, anyway, around two years after I bought it, while well, I was still working at the phone company trying to still pay off my student loans, the market took off. And all of a sudden I was sitting on a lot of equity and decided, I looked back and, and thought to myself, you know, in the last two years I made more money owning this piece of property than I did going to this phone company every day to a job I didn't really like. And got I thought, a question if I did this on that. Mistake, what would happen? Quick question on oh, that sure. before you keep going. So Mike, what kind of property was this? Was it a single family home? Did you live in it? Did you rent it out? What was it? Yeah, so it was a single family home and it was up in Canada where I uh, lived at the time and still kind of live. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I travel most of the time. So, but uh, yeah, I was in Canada. I, I lived in the house and, you know, over the, and over that, uh, uh, period that I was in there, I actually did buy my first revenue property as well because my my uh, 
uh, mortgage broker called me up and goes, Mike, your credit is good enough that if you wanted to do that again, we can get you another one. And so I ended up having two. But to, to make a long story short, both single family homes. Uh, and I really didn't have any strategy back then. I didn't really know what I was doing. I only knew that it makes sense to own real estate. If it makes sense to own instead of rent, why wouldn't you want to own more real estate? And so anyway, I look back uh, after the market took off and thought, if I did this by mistake, what could, would happen if I did this on purpose? And I didn't really want to go back to law school. So I told my parents I wasn't going to be, and they were, they're still mad at me to this day. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, but I quit, I quit the phone company and I took my, you know, I, I sold these uh, properties, took the money and used it to buy some more properties. And that led me on this journey that took me here today uh, that has had many ups and downs. And actually, uh, one of the problems with getting really lucky with something and not really having a strategy is that it's pretty hard to duplicate. And I got, so I went from buying a property thinking, hey, this is going to be a great long-term investment to uh, a different mindset where it's like, okay, well, I want to do that again, but I don't want to wait two years. I want to get, I want to have, you know, 90 days or maybe at the most six months before my next big paycheck. And so I went from a long-term approach to a short-term approach, and that almost led to my demise as I managed to lose a lot of my profits oh, on the no. next deal. Uh, but uh, the good news is I already told my parents I wasn't going to law school, nor did I want to, and I'd already quit the phone company, so I burnt my uh, bridges, and I have to continue. So instead of being back then a know-it-all where I thought I knew how to do everything, I became a learn-it-all, and I started to ask other people questions, and I got mentors and got other people to help me instead of thinking, hmm, well, I, I aced that first deal, so obviously I'm a, a real estate pro, and I don't need anybody else. And uh, my mindset got, uh, when you have a humbling experience, sometimes your mindset shifts, and I had that happen a few times. Yeah, I mean, I I remember, I mean, I don't know what years this was happening for you, but in- You weren't born yet. You weren't born yet. <laughs> Thank you for thinking I'm that young, but not true. But in 2005, six, seven, when the market was going crazy, oh my gosh, we knew it was an anomaly, but still we were so fortunate to unintentionally flip a house. We thought we were going to move into it, but then we're like, oh, let's just put that one up for sale. The price have gone up so much and we'll buy the bigger model because back then people would go and put deposits in and new build trash. And mm -hmm. by the time the house was finished in construction, it had appreciated so much. And in that one deal, so crazy, I'm sure it will never happen again. We made $250,000 for holding a house for six weeks wow. because the pricing had been priced a year before we closed. It took mm -hmm. them that long to do it. I mean, that's how crazy the market was. It was a golden opportunity if you could seize it. Now, I've certainly lost more than that on other deals, but <laughs> it was just like, that is how crazy it was around here. And yeah. I'm assuming your uh, stuff was all in Canada, right? Yeah, it was crazy. You know, every market has its, uh, has its uh, cycles and it's a matter of, you know, being smart. And, that, and that's really what I do is I teach people how do you do this stuff uh, strategically, systematically, and not relying on luck. What you did was very, very fortunate and you got really lucky with the timing. But if you can't duplicate it, right. you're still good to have that quarter of a million dollars in the bank. But if you can't duplicate it, at some point you got to go get a job unless you figure out a way to make this happen either frequently or have a strategy that works every single time. And so that's what, you know, being a successful investor is, is not just being able to make money when it goes up. Anybody can do that. Right. But how do you, how do you monetize it when it comes down? How do you monetize it when it's staying the same? How do you do that? And that's some of the stuff that I have uh, studied for many, many years. And, uh, uh, I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, 
uh, you know, I, I learned from my mistakes along the way, put it that way. Yeah, well, tell us some more stories of your experience and, and more about your path and your journey. Oh boy, well, if, if we were to, um, let's go back to the phone company. I quit the phone company, was very enamored with real estate, went from having no passion for it to being absolutely in love with it. That's all I wanted to, to talk about all day long and, and learn about. And you know, back then I was quite young and uh, really enjoyed, I just enjoyed the, the adrenaline rush. And so I actually traded my eight hour a day job that I didn't like for 16 to 18 hour a day job that I did like till I got to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And as I started to accumulate some more properties and get more and more things on the go at once, um, I remember one day I woke up and all of a sudden it seemed like everything was going wrong that day. And I had tenants complaining about things and financing wasn't going through and things needed repairs. And it was just, I, I just remember that it was the first time that this ever started to feel like a job. I went from, from loving it and I didn't really care about the number of hours to start to feel like a job. And then I started to think that, you know what, as I continue to build and scale my business, I'm going to have more days like this where things are going wrong than the days that are going right. Because as you get more properties, it's just inevitable. It's going to happen. And I actually had a point where I was actually thinking, hmm, I've made made good money, but I don't know that I, I, I don't know that I want to do this forever anymore. And I just kind of hit this brick wall where all of a sudden the passion disappeared. And then I started to think, well, you know what? I don't have to stop doing it. I just have to do it smarter. And so, you know, I, I love my parents, but one of the things they taught me, uh, besides that I should go to law school, which was crazy. The other thing they taught me is, you know what, you go get a good education, you work hard and, you know, you pay your dues and you'll have a great life. Well, I was working really hard. I was working a lot of hours and things were going downhill, not get They weren't, weren't getting better. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start getting people do my property management. I'm going to get people, other people, I'm going to start delegating to other people so I can get my life back. And, you know, um, if if you fast forward a bit, it it took a while. It didn't happen overnight where I just replaced everybody. It takes a long time. And one of the challenges with being an entrepreneur is we're control freaks and we have a really hard time delegating to other people. It's kind of like your birth this baby. We have this vision for our business and it's our baby. You don't just let anybody take your baby, right? So, so we're control freaks. So uh, anyway, the, uh, I, I went from investing just in Canada to investing in the U S and my first U S market was Las Vegas. And, at that point, I was now forced to delegate whether I wanted to or not. And so I, had, I couldn't be at two places at the same time at the end of the month. So I reluctantly hired a property manager. And then I went to what I call the second phase of entrepreneurship. First is being the solopreneur where you do everything. Then you go to the micromanager phase where you start to hire people, but you spend just as much time working, but that work is now babysitting and telling them how to do their job right, even though they know how to do it better than you. And I went to that phase and realized, you know, my property manager in Vegas was collecting a lot more rent than I was in Calgary on, on my, that I was doing on my own to try and save the 10%. Not only that, even after I paid him the 10%, he was still making me more money. And so I started to look at it. And uh, like I said, I, I was micromanaging him to death where it's like, hey, I need to know every little thing that's going on with a property. I remember that, you know, there was one week where I had two fridges break in two different properties. And he had to call me up and let me know each time. And not once did I say, hey, the tenant doesn't need a fridge. I, it was always the same answer, you know, the, you know, see what it costs to fix it. If it's more than a certain amount, then just replace it. And I started to realize that 
well, why, why don't I just put some systems in place and, or better yet, why don't I start to trust that these people know what they're doing better than me and let them do what they're good at. And then I got to the third phase where, you know, basically I would hire really good people, let them do their thing that they're good at. And 99% of the time they would do a hundred times better than I could have done myself. And I got my, I got my freedom back. I got my time back. And, you know, in, in the interim, uh, by the way, I had uh, a, a daughter. Uh, she's now 21. Back then, when she was younger, there were times where I'd leave the house and it would be dark, and I'd come home and it would be dark, and I missed the entire day. I didn't get to see my daughter all day. So all this different, all these different things were, com- you know, coming into play where it's like, yeah, I got to get my time back. And that's really, you know, these days I do the opposite. And you know my lifestyle. I'm always traveling. I spend a lot of time. I do a lot of volunteer work. I have a new grandson now. He's one year old, so I love to hang out with him. He's already been traveling with me and, and my daughter as well. And so, so I went from being the workaholic, um, bur- you know, starting to burn out, starting to be really stressed to being a play. I wouldn't say a playaholic. I, I spent a lot of my time giving back and doing stuff that uh, I only like to do stuff that I love. And my currency has changed over the years. Back in the day, it was all measured by how much is in my bank account. Now I measure by how happy am I, uh, how fulfilled am I? And I realized that having all these material things, which is what I was working so hard for, they didn't really make me happy. They did for a very short period of time. As soon as your, as soon as your neighbor has a better car than you, all of a sudden your car is not cool anymore. And now you got to go earn money to buy another car. It's just crazy. So, uh, so these days I actually find fulfillment in volunteering, spending time with the family, doing all the things that I missed out on when I was working my butt off. And so that's basically where I'm at. I'm at a point now where I want to help other investors to get freedom back in their lives so that they're not, uh, you know, like I said, that adrenaline rush lasts for so long and after a while you hit that brick wall, unless you're not scaling, in which case you're, you're playing really, really small. So I've basically created a turnkey uh, real estate company where my teams go and pick properties in the right cities and the right neighborhoods. They fix them up, put tenants in place, they look after it. And the investors that purchase for us don't have to do anything. Just they get a paycheck at the end of every month. And they get their life back. So that's, that's my entire 27 years in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you um, give us some more insight into at some point in there, like were you flipping primarily or were you always just holding rentals? Like what was the mix of your portfolio? Yeah. How many properties was it? Give people an idea of that. Sure. Well, basically when I, when I first started, my first property was a, uh, it was originally meant to be a long-term hold. I just thought if I have this property, one I live in plus the other one, if I have it in 25 years from now, they'll be paid off. That was my retirement plan. So I went in with that long-term approach and it worked really, really well for me. And then I got to the, the phase where it's like, yeah, I got to make money fast. I'm going to quit my job, but I don't want to wait two years for for another big paycheck. I want it to happen now. And so I started to flip and I didn't really know how to do flips. I thought I knew how to do flips. I thought, oh, I'll just do what I just did. Only I got to look for a slightly better deal and maybe we'll have to do some renos or whatever. And then we'll, but you know, I didn't, there's a lot of things that I did not know. uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, w- I was too uh, proud to ask because I thought I was the real estate guru now. And so um, after I managed to lose a lot of my profits on that next deal, like I said, I started to go network, find some other investors, learn from, uh, from them and their mistakes. And I, I then started to do some flips and, and with a little bit more insight as to the due diligence I needed to do beforehand so that you know, the repairs didn't go way, way out of uh, over budget. 
and things came in on the right timelines and all the stuff that I'm sure you and, and your, your following are aware of. Um, but as time went on, I started to realize, you know what, the stuff where I made the really big money, and it's kind of funny, I had this conversation a few uh, months ago with, with a good friend of mine. We used to do a lot of flips together. And then when I started uh, leaving Canada to work in the U.S., and he didn't want to do that. He really regrets that now. <laughs> but we had this conversation. He goes, Mike, remember all those properties that we flipped and we made like 30 grand on or 40 grand on? And we thought we hit the jackpot. Don't you wish we still had those? And those homes are now worth six, seven hundred thousand. <laughs> we sold them for plus all the cash flow we could have had. But what I've realized over the years is that most people get wealthy in real estate the ones that, that actually really get wealthy and actually have lives on top as well that they're enjoying, most of them are doing it by buying and holding and getting uh, cash flow. They're being strategic, getting cash flow every month. And that's why I built my lifestyle. My, my lifestyle is now built on cash flow. So obviously I run a turnkey operation, which is flips. We're buying in bulk from banks. Uh, so that is flips, but I'm out of the equation. My money is working for me. I built a team that, they have systems. They know exactly what they need to buy, what neighborhoods, very specific zip codes. All our homes are at least three bedrooms, two baths. There's very specific criteria uh, that my team deals with. I've taken myself out of the day-to-day. -day. I do some. I still love to teach, so I go and speak and try to inspire other people and teach them what, what I learned. But for the most part, uh, most of my, my money, my lifestyle, uh, comes from the properties that I buy and hold. I have other people collecting my rent for me, so it's truly passive. And then I go do the things I enjoy every single day. And so I really love to teach people, you know, how to build that. How do you build your portfolio? How do you? Uh, how can you be strategic so if the market goes down, you're still capitalizing on it? And uh, so these days, you know, I have a, a pretty big portfolio, uh, almost 200 properties that I'm holding. Uh, I've got, uh, like I said, all the work being done by other people, and. Uh, for the most part, I'm only, I do stuff I love every, every single day. I wake up and, and uh, I feel very fulfilled and happy. And it's not because of all the toys. I actually got, I'm actually a minimalist. I'm in a hotel room right now uh, in San Diego. I travel all over the world. And I live in hotels. Uh, one of the mastermind groups I belong to, they call me the homeless millionaire. I run <laughs> a real estate investor to be homeless, but I truly am. I, I don't, uh, you know, I, I wake up and um, I'm a really big fan of sunshine. So I will fly somewhere sunny and warm and I love the beach. Uh, but I also like to fly and see my, my daughter and my grandson or fly them to me. Uh, love to, you know, give back. And, um, but all this stuff is paid for by my buy and hold properties. And so I don't tell people you should never, never flip that, that absolutely we've made some money on it. But if you're not building a portfolio, you're always going to be chasing after that next deal. And as soon as you stop, let's say you get sick, if you're a flipper, the money stops coming in. If you're me, and I hope I don't get sick for a long, long time, but if it were to happen, the money would still keep coming in. I couldn't turn it off. So that's a pretty good position to be in. So I'm a really big fan of creating truly passive income. And real estate's one way that I do it. I do it in other ways as well. I've got online uh, businesses that bring in money while I'm sleeping. I've, I've done you know, money lending where I have other people that, that uh, you know, do the due diligence on who we lend to and the money comes in passively. And so I won't put anything on my plate that actually involves anything that's stressful, anything that takes up more time than I'm willing to, to uh, put into something. And like I said, when your currency goes from dollars uh, and it shifts to happiness, then you're measuring your opportunities a lot differently. And to me, flipping, uh, like I said, it's not horrible and I have some friends that do it, but most of my friends that are successful at it, uh, if I actually want to hang out with them, I've got to go in their car with them and drive around looking at properties all day because that's what they do every day. And I'm sure some people listening can relate and that used to be me. So I was there. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you bring up a good point too when you're talking about how you went from flipping to holding. I think flipping is a wonderful path for people to grow some grow some cash and get to the point where they can buy and hold. But why don't you give us some of your insights on like if somebody, I assume you sell properties to investors, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's our they trade. need to have cash to do that. Right. I mean, it's not a seller finance. Type yes and no. Uh, so okay. obviously you have to have cash. However, it doesn't have to be your cash. And so think, so think of this, think of how many people have money sitting in their retirement fund uh, and how often do you hear people say, boy, I'm so excited with my retirement fund. It's so well for me. <laughs> Never. 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 <laughs> you have, I want to find out what they're invested in. But, you know, there's a whole bunch of people that don't know that they can take that and turn that into a mortgage for you to go buy a property. And there's people with liquid cash sitting in their bank, not doing anything. And if you were to offer them 5 6% instead of the less than 1% they're making, you've now created a win-win. So it doesn't have to be your money. You get lines of credit. My first home, I didn't use a dime out of my pocket. I didn't even know what I was doing, but I had a creative a mortgage broker who said, well, if you do A, B, and C, we'll get you into a home. And that's exactly what I did. And everything was above board. I'm not talking about doing stuff illegal right. or gray area. It's all 100% right. legal. So, but there's a lot of different ways to get money. So don't think that you're going to go to your, your nine to five job and save up the money. And, and also, you know, there's, there's some people that can successfully do flips. I see more people than not that screw them up and they end up getting even further behind, not closer to their goal. So make sure you know what you're doing before you get into flipping. And despite what you see on reality TV, um, I actually shot a, um, a pilot for, uh, they invited me to go to New York to shoot a pilot for a TV show a number of years ago. And then they said they really liked it, but they wanted me to add more drama to it. And I said, I'm not an actor. I'm here to, I can show you how real estate really works. I'm not, if you want an actor, I mean, Brad Pitt might be available. I don't really want to, <laughs> I'm not looking to be an actor. So believe it or not, the stuff you see on reality TV is not real. So, uh, you know, very few people can successfully do uh, flips on a regular basis and finding the deals is very competitive and there's a lot of things that can go wrong and, and for using hard money, uh, the bills add up. There's all these things that can go wrong and I'm not saying that you can't do it and certainly if you find an amazing opportunity, run with it if you know what you're doing, but it's not a sustainable business model for most people. So a better way to do it, if I was going back, if I could go talk to the Mike Wolf of 27 years ago, I, I would tell myself, because I was very shy and I didn't really have the confidence to go ask other people for their money. And I almost felt like I was doing something dirty by, by asking them anyway. But then I learned, guess what? You can create a win-win where you're helping somebody else get way better returns on their retirement funds or liquid cash, whatever. And you, know, you can borrow their money and create a really good win for them and create a win for yourself. Start building that portfolio sooner than later. And actually we do have uh, in-house financing anyway now. So if money is a, a challenge, we're not going to put up 100%, obviously. But if you have some money, uh, the homes, by the way, are not California prices. Uh, my, my market right now is Atlanta. The homes typically start around the 90s. Uh, to give you an idea, um, $100,000 home in Atlanta is around a $600,000, $700,000 home in San Diego or L.A. Oh, so, okay. Uh, so we're not talking about dumps. We're not talking crappy neighborhoods. We're talking great homes, great neighborhoods awesome team and we have a lot of systems in place to get good tenants so that you don't have the stress that uh, people have when they buy in the wrong neighborhood and have the wrong people living in their home so right. and we actually have in-house financing so you don't have to have all the cash up front we'll actually uh, finance you and uh, there's always a way to get into real estate so i tell people when you don't have the resources you have to get a little bit resourceful that's all 
Amen to that. Well, tell us more about what, is Atlanta the only market you're in? Are you in other markets? Have you been in other U.S. markets? Tell us more about that. Yeah, so, so as we know, real estate is very cyclical. And the cycles typically run at, we're a different place on the cycle in different cities. Now, the recession was kind of one of those exceptions where, I mean, as blanket, the whole United States was in a, in a recession pretty much. Uh, however, uh, every market's different. And so I started off uh, in Canada. My first U.S. market was Vegas. Then we went to Phoenix. We did some stuff in Florida. We've done stuff in Texas. We've done stuff uh, after Katrina, Hurricane Katrina. We actually did a give back project. We were buying homes in New Orleans, fixing them up, bringing people back. So I've worked in a lot of different places, but I focus on only one maybe at the most two places at a time. And the reason for that is we want to buy low and sell high. And we want to build a team in, in those cities. We want to build a really solid team. So I could potentially go set up five teams in five different cities and they'll have five mediocre teams. Or I could focus on building one really awesome power team in one city or maybe at the most two. And then you have control over it. And once again, you know, I want to give my, uh, myself no stress. I also want to give my clients no stress. And if I'm doing things mediocre, then we know what happens in real estate when things are not, you got to make it solid. You got to make your team solid. So we're very, very focused on one market. We can go and take all our capital, get really good deals on the properties, get really good deals on, uh, because we're buying bulk. You know, we're not going to the carpet store to buy carpet when we get a home. We're buying, we own thousands of yards of carpet, thousands of gallons of paint. We do everything in bulk. And it gives us, us a better experience, gives our clients a better experience. And so uh, we're very, very focused on Atlanta uh, at the moment. And we do it very, very well. We've been there for six years. And it's been uh, you know, tremendous. And we, we're hoping to have a few more years before it uh, takes off. And then we'll move, build our next team in the next market. Awesome. So give us an idea of what a typical rent would be for that $100,000 in Atlanta. And let me preface that by, or you can even talk about what the 1% rule is where right. you get basic real estate education. A lot of times they'll tell you, you want 1% of the purchase price in monthly rent. So if you buy a home for $100,000, the goal would be to get $1,000 a month in rent. You can't begin to get that <laughs> in Orange County, LA, or San Diego, most parts of it. Right. So well, how's yeah, it looking in Atlanta? Yeah, well, first of all, I'll answer your question by saying on the 100000 you're going to get probably around 900 rent. Okay. And then I'm also going to say the problem with the 1% rules is very, very focused on one of the, um, well, actually, let me tell you how we pick a market, first of all. Yeah. So the first thing we look at, and most people don't even think to look at this, the first thing we look at before we even get started is, is the market, is it landlord friendly or is it tenant friendly? Mm. And so as you know, living in California, which is very, very tenant friendly, if you get a bad tenant in your home, they can live there for a year, maybe more, even if they know how to work the system well enough, but they'll oh, pay yes. any rent to you and you can't get rid of them. Yep. So I don't know about you. You've been in real estate for a while. Have you ever once had the bank say, hey, I hear you got a bad tenant. Well, you know what? Don't pay your mortgage. You don't have <laughs> When you get a good tenant, it, doesn't, it hasn't happened, does right? not happen. So how do you run a business when you have no revenue coming in, but you have all these expenses? You still got to pay your property taxes. They're yep. probably, if they're not paying you, they're probably not really taking good care of your home. They don't really yeah. care. So number one thing I look at, is it landlord friendly or tenant friendly? Before we look at any 1% rule or how much rent, the second thing I'm going to look at, how do we get rich in real estate? We get rich when the homes appreciate. How do I get, how do I do my first, how do I get that first initial deal that got me into this game it's because my property appreciated went up so how do you get appreciation you have to go to a market where there's jobs being created where the population is growing we want to get and we also want diverse kind of economies i don't want to go to a place where it's all 
one industry. So I don't want to go to Detroit where it's the auto industry because that industry is done. The future of auto automobiles is self-driving cars. And the big players are going to be Apple, Google, uh, Uber. They're all up in the Bay Area. They're not in Detroit. So number one, we want to be somewhere where there's lots of uh, diversification. So Atlanta, 75% uh, of Fortune 500 companies have an office there. Head office to Coca-Cola, Turner Broadcasting, Delta Airlines, Home Depot. The list goes on and on and on. And that's because the same government that says, hey, we're going to be in favor of the landlord because these are business people. They're also in favor of, hey, let's offer these guys tax incentives. They move their head office here because it's very, very smart. So I want to be in a place like that because where are people going to move? Where there's jobs. So uh, that's the number two thing I look at. The number three thing I look at is the 1% rule. How much money will you be able to generate uh, you know, taking money in your pocket, how much rent will you be able to generate with that? But if I don't have those other, those first two things, then I don't really care about that third thing because you're not going to get it. You're going to get what's called paper returns. You're going to get stuff that looks really good on a spreadsheet, but in real life, what happens when there's high unemployment, your tenant's not going to pay you. You're going to get two months rent out of the year if you're lucky. Your repair bills are going to be high if you're buying old homes. Your repair bills are going to be high. So I want to get returns that are accurate. And so I could go buy in Ohio, I could go buy in Detroit, and I could promise people 15% returns, which they'll never see, but they're never going to get that appreciation, so they're never going to get rich. I'd rather give up a little bit of money each month to know that I'm going to get that big boost when the market gets to where it should be. So I want to get in undervalued markets where the government's on my side for getting rid of bad tenants. And by the way, in, in Atlanta, we get rid of a bad tenant in about three weeks typically. And Sweet. Yeah. And so I don't, I, the 1% rule is, is a really good way to end up buying cheap homes in cheap neighborhoods. And I could get, if I went to cheaper neighborhoods in Atlanta, I could easily fulfill that 1% rule. But now you attract a bad, uh, when you're in a bad neighborhood, you attract bad tenants. And what property manager says, well, let's see, I could go to a really nice neighborhood and collect, you know, a thousand bucks in rent and I get a hundred of that, or I can go to the slums, you know, risk my life and make 40 bucks this month. So you're not attracting a good team. Who, who wants to be a property manager in a bad neighborhood? Nobody that's successful. So to get the good team, you have to have the right neighborhood, right home. When you have all the right ingredients, then you have a stress-free real estate career. And that's what this is all about. How do you have a stress-free life? How do you have freedom to do the things you love and spend time with your family and not be putting out fires or on the phone all day dealing with crap? Yeah. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time together. No, I'm just starting to have fun. Oh, well, well I'll have, have you back another time too. Okay, good. <laughs> Right. Anyway, um, so in our last, I don't know, we, we probably got about five more minutes. So share, you know, your best, I would say, actionable advice. You've been giving great advice the whole time Thank to you. people who are considering getting into real estate investing, or maybe they're in it, maybe they're flipping, but it's great to hear from someone who's had great success in building yeah. a portfolio. So, I mean, if you want to re oh, what's the word? Recap, there we go. The best advice for the real estate investors out there. Gosh, I'm going to give them something that's more, not just pertaining to real estate, but in every aspect of your life. So uh, what I want you to do is I want you to take a piece of paper and put, make three columns on it. And I won't go through, I'll, I'll give you all the like, things you can do it offline after I'm done because I know you don't want me to stay on here for two hours doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so. do, but it might be a little weird. There you go. It's all good. So... Uh, so in the first column, what you want to do for the heading is you want to put the things that you're good at, the things that you're gifted at, the things that come really natural to you, and maybe the things other people come to you for advice for. So, and you want to list all those things. And then at the top of the second column, you want to uh, write down 
all the things that uh, you're passionate about. So you want to take all the things that uh, you really enjoy doing that maybe you would even do if they were, you weren't getting paid to do it. So for me, I love to volunteer. I don't get paid for it, but I'm very passionate about it. I find it uh, rewarding. But list all those things that you're passionate about that you actually enjoy doing. And then in the third column, I want you to put things that are a good use of your time. And back in the olden days, I used to teach people in that column, put things that are a good use of your time financially, meaning that if it's a minimum wage job, it's not a good, you know, if you're mowing a lawn, probably not a good use of your time. But now I actually extend that to say, yeah, it's a good use of your time in that, you know, this is better than being with your family, better than volunteering, better than traveling, better than having fun. The things that are a good use of your time compared to all the other things that you could be doing at the same time. And when you take a look at the three different columns, anything that's not in all three columns, if you're not good at it, if you're not cut out for it, if you're not passionate and love doing it, and it's not a good use of your time, then don't do it. Stop doing it. And so everything that I actually do, like I love teaching. So to me, it's fun. I think I'm good at it. I get told I'm good at it. And it is a good use of my time because the returns are amazing. I get to inspire other people. Uh, I, I absolutely love doing it. I, I wouldn't want to do it full time though. So it's a good use of my time for a certain amount of the time. So find those things that are in all three columns and that's the stuff you should do. And one of the reasons why I now live in hotel rooms and travel the world is I come back and somebody made my bed for me. I don't <laughs> deal with that. I don't mow lawns. I don't shovel snow. I don't clean toilets. Not that I ever did even before, uh, which is why my anyway, that's why I don't have a wife right now, but we'll talk about that. Uh, but, I love the honesty. <laughs> but do, do the things that you should be doing. Delegate everything else. Don't do any of it. And so, uh, and it's very, very, it's a lot easier than you think to do all that. And um, I do that in every aspect of my life. Awesome. Love it. So for somebody that wants to learn about what opportunities there are with you, how do they get in touch with you? And um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, actually, one of the best ways to learn what I'm doing is I, and one of the things that I teach people is work smarter. Remember, I said, don't work harder, work smarter. So I actually have created a masterclass where I talk about how do you create passive income and uh, talks about the three top ways that I create uh, revenue uh, for myself, real estate obviously being one of them. Uh, so you can uh, text, you text to the number 72,000, you type in 72,000. And then you type the word lifestyle. You're going to take the word lifestyle, send it to 72,000. I have automated software that other people set up for me, which I delegated. <laughs> and it will take you to that webinar, which is, I'll give it to you absolutely for free. It's a master class. If somebody's interested in learning more about my properties, they can email me at mike at mikewolfmastery.com. So it's mike at mikewolf, just like the animal, no E, just like the animal mikewolfmastery.com and I'd be happy to send a link to my uh, properties and, and we can get on a strategy call. I could talk a little bit more about them, how they work and I'd be happy to help anybody who needs my help in any uh, anything to do with real estate, finance, uh, lifestyle, whatever it is, I'm happy to help anybody. So. Oh, thank you, Mike. You're yeah, awesome. You. And for our listeners, Mike and I come across each other at various seminars. I, I think we met through a mutual friend at a seminar. Yeah, and right. it's so fun. I mean, I'm a huge fan of personal improvement and learning and education, whether it's real estate or 
just how to be better in all aspects of life. And I know Mike is too. Absolutely. Yeah. If if you're into that, he's a great person to connect with and learn what he's got to offer to help make your own life better. And maybe those that are in your life, you know, help free up your time and get that dream lifestyle that would make your life better. So with that, thank you, Mike, for your time. Thank you. Um, We're always here on our podcast to guide you to greatness and go out and make it a great day. If you found value in today's episode, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. You can find our show notes at our website, houseflipmasters.com on the podcast page. Also, to get our top tips for finding deals without spending lots of money, go to houseflipmasters.com for your free download today.